Morning, church. As you heard, I'm Michelle. I am the mom of one living thing named Eden, and I am wife of Linde. I am part of the Bryanston Life Group, led by Mark Walter and Kenrick Owen. Um, let's read. Genesis 3, 1 to 21. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain... You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the word of God. Thanks for that uh, Bible reading, Michelle. Um, I want to pray for us, uh, family. Um, I realize I, I didn't introduce myself 
To those who are new, my name is Black, um, and I work with the young adults here at Christchurch Midrand, and I have the privilege of opening up God's Word for us uh, this morning, so it would be of great help for me if you would keep your Bibles opened uh, to Genesis 3, uh, the passage that was read. Um, before I pray, um, I, w- I want to do two things for us this morning uh, with the sermon. One, um, help us think about what it is that we're celebrating. Um, we're going into the Christmas season. For some of us, it's already started. Um, but for us who are Christians, uh, if you believe in Jesus, and we always say that Christmas is about, about Jesus, but what is it that we're celebrating over Christmas? Hopefully, as we walk out of uh, this auditorium, that will be clearer for us. Um, and secondly, um, I want to, to fuel us, um, to give us reasons so that we do celebrate. Uh, so firstly, what are we celebrating? Uh, and secondly, reasons to fuel uh, what it is that we're celebrating. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll, we'll get stuck in, in God's word. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for who you are. Thank you that you came, became like one of us, lived the life that we were supposed to live, and died the death that we were supposed to take. Father, that's, that's great news that you gave your son in that way. And I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, remind us of how great that gospel is, that good news is, how good it is, and that it would really just saturate our hearts and posture how we live for you. Let's pray for the reading of your word and thanksgiving for that. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. So what is Christmas? If I would ask in a room full like this, we'll probably get a lot of answers to answer that question, what is Christmas? Um, For some of us, Christmas is the food that we are looking forward to enjoy with our loved ones. Uh, I know for me, the the traditional Sunday seven colors becomes 14 colors over Christmas. Um, And if you are confused what 14 colors is, uh, shame on you, we'll pray for you. Um, But for some of us, the turkey comes out, the gammon comes out, um, speaking of gammon, I have to say, I didn't know what gammon is until I got married. So uh, if, if my marriage doesn't work, uh, at least my wife gave me uh, a sophisticated palate, just lightly, right? Uh, but I, I, I didn't know what gammon is. And for, for some of us, that's a, that's a Christmas tradition. Where I grew up, we got outfits for Christmas. Us by far the, the dopest thing that we would look forward to. I don't know about other hoods you grew up in, but we got clothes for Christmas Eve, we got clothes for Christmas, we got clothes for Boxing Day, we got clothes for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Um, and uh, yeah, amen, yeah, it's dope, it's good. And I know some of you are like, but what about the school uniform? Uh, that's for January, we'll worry about that. In January, right now, we are having December, okay? Um, but it was fun. I, I looked forward to that. For, for some of us, Christmas is the holiday. Uh, just this long-awaited uh, and much-needed rest that we're looking forward to. So whatever Christmas is for you, we can all generally agree in this room uh, that Christmas is a time of celebration. Amen. It is a, a time where we look forward uh, to gathering with our loved ones, to celebrate. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, 
we obviously made a, an announcement about a course that we were running uh, called Surviving the Holidays. Uh, so if, even as you hear us speak about Christmas being a time of celebration, it might not be that for you. Um, and if you've missed that course, uh, please come speak to us. Uh, we still want to love you as a, as a family uh, so that we could help you navigate uh, this, this holiday season, um, if it's the first one or even, you know, however uh, many holiday seasons you've had without your, your loved ones. Um, so, so the rest of us, you know, as we, we think about Christmas um, and we think about it being a time of celebration, the question I want to ask us this morning and start off with is, what are we actually celebrating? Have we paused to think over the many Christmases we've had? What is it that we are actually celebrating? Um, what is it that we're commemorating? What is it that we are putting our eyes on? Because that's what celebration means. It means to focus on something, to observe something. What is this thing that we are honoring over the Christmas season or the Christmas holidays? The amazing thing about the Bible is that you can answer that question from, from many angles in different ways. And so what we've decided to do uh, beginning today and the next couple of weeks is answer this question from the Old Testament. Do we find the reason for Christmas in the Old Testament? Genesis 3 that Michelle read for us. I'll give you the punchline now. Here's what Genesis 3 will tell us we are celebrating. We are celebrating an announcement. That's what we are celebrating over the Christmas period. That's what we are commemorating. That's what we are focusing on, putting our eyes on. We are celebrating an ancient promise. Somebody say promise. That's what we are celebrating, an ancient promise. A promise of hope. A promise of restoration. A promise of life. For a people who lived in perfect harmony with God, who were in good union with God, with each other and the world around them, but now they have fallen into a state of hopelessness. They've fallen into a state of death. But this promise that we are celebrating was made for them and us before the foundations of the earth. In fact, Paul tells us that and reminds us of that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 till 5. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for us. Listen to what Paul says. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. Before Adam and Eve turned their backs against God, God had already made a promise to rescue them, to save them. And what we find in Genesis 3 is that God makes this declaration and gives them and presents this promise to them in real time. They have just turned their backs on God. They have looked God in the eye and said, we want to do life our own way. It's at that moment, in their greatest moment of weakness, God is there, giving them the greatest news ever. That's what we are celebrating over Christmas. That's what we are remembering. I mean, look at verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 3 with me. Listen to what it says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruits and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what do we have here? 
first man and first woman. Again, who, who lived in a good world with a good God. They were in good relationship with each other. Verses 7 tells us that they saw their nakedness, tried to cover it. But the funny thing is that a chapter before this, the last line of Genesis chapter 2 says that they were naked and unashamed. Genesis chapter 2, their nakedness was a symbol of their freedom. Their nakedness was a symbol of the innocence that they had with God. Their nakedness was a symbol of the transparency and the goodness of relationship they enjoyed with each other. But now, verses 7 of Genesis chapter 3, their nakedness is a reminder of their sudden guilt. Their nakedness is a symbol of their exposure before God. Their nakedness is a symbol of their shame before God. So the question we ask is why? How did they move from such a glorious state to not being in a state of shame? Where their nakedness is something that they embarrassed over. Well, verses 1 and to verses 5, rather, of chapter 3. Listen to this. They chose to listen. It's a choice they made. It's a choice we continuously make. They chose to listen to the enemy. They chose to listen to Satan. They chose to listen to the deceiver. Church, in chapter 2, they had a good God who gave them good instructions to govern a good world, to maintain good relationships. But now in Genesis 3, they turn their backs away from that God and listen to the enemy who gives them evil instruction that plunges them into an evil world. A world that is plagued and governed and diseased by death, depression, by loneliness, by malice. By strife, by suffering, by brokenness, by death, by darkness. And so if you're reading this, as I was preparing, I was thinking to myself, what else do they deserve at this point? What else do they deserve? Our hearts will all scream and exclaim they deserve punishment. They deserve judgment. And judgment they do get. Punishment they do get, but at the same time, a promise is given to them. At the same time, in the moment of their greatest weakness, God gives them the greatest news ever. Greatest news, an ancient announcement of hope, of restoration, to rescue them from the death they got themselves into. This is the God that we celebrate over Christmas who made this announcement of somebody who will come to rescue Adam and Eve as much as he will rescue us. This is a God who administers justice with love. That's what we see in Genesis 3. It is a God who administers love in a just way. That's the God we are celebrating over Christmas. That's what we are focusing on. That's exactly what it is that we are celebrating. When we're eating the turkey, the gammon, and the 14 colors, when we're putting on our new clothes, when we're on holiday and resting, remember the thing that we are celebrating is a God who promised never to leave, never to forsake, even in your greatest moment of weakness. Amen. This God is there. This God presses in. This God does not forsake them. Do they deserve judgment? They do. Did we deserve judgment for turning our backs against God? We did. But at the same time, the promise is given to them. That's what we are celebrating. This declaration of an ancient promise. Theologians call this the first gospel proclamation. Particularly in Genesis 3 verses 15. 
that God proclaims the good news to Adam and Eve. Amen. I remember I was eight years old. Um, it was a very long time, Rafa. Um, just reminding you of who's senior here, right? Uh, I was eight years old. My dad brought a bag of sweets home. It was a massive bag. We lost it for weeks. Um, but like any eight-year-old, I, I was entitled. And I thought, surely this bag is mine. Like, can't be your bag. You parents, you old. Um, and so one day, I asked for more sweets. You know, my parents had been giving me sweets every day. Um, probably the fourth day or whatever. I was like, oh, can I have more sweets? And they wisely and graciously refused. Um, and then I did what every idiot eight-year-old would do, right? Puffed my chest up, looked at my parents in the eyes and said, I'm going to leave this house and go live on the streets if you don't give me this bag. Church, I swear, their response would make you believe they had been rehearsing this moment their whole lives. Because <laughs> without missing a beat, my mother got up, went to my room, started packing my clothes, went to the kitchen, put a little lunchbox for me, walked back into the living room, looked at my dad in the eyes, gave him the bag. Without missing a beat, my dad also got up, looked at me straight in the eyes and said to me, what street must I drop you at? I was scared. <laughs> I had never peed my pants in my life. But I could tell you something happened that day. Don't know what happened, but something happened. I, I begged. I apologized. I'm, I'm 35. I've never offered an apology as sincere as I did that day. Not to anyone, not my wife, nobody. I've never apologized the way I apologized that evening. Because what I wanted suddenly confronted with, I was faced with. You want to go live in the streets? Well, let's do it. As much as this is a true story, but it's a small picture of the nature of rebellion. This is a small picture of the reward that rebellion deserves. Let's picture this with me. So Adam and Eve go to God and say to God, God, we want to live on the streets. And God looks at them and says, if you live on the streets, you will surely die. And they look at God straight in the eyes and say, try us. Try us. That's what rebellion looks like. That's the insidious and diabolical nature of our rebellion. That's how evil it is for us to turn our backs against God. What does that deserve? Judgment. What does that deserve? Punishment. But even with that. Somebody say, even with that. But even with that, God made a promise to save them. He made a promise to save them from their own foolishness. He made a promise to save them from their own idiotic ambitions, their own stupidity. God made that promise for us. If we're honest, some of us are even contemplating to go after the service to do some foolishness. But even that is not going to deter God from saving us. No amount of sinning, no amount of, of shaking our, our fist in his face will deter him from saving us. That's what we're celebrating over Christmas. Amen. For the remainder of our time, we, we're going to look at, at one verse. Genesis 3, we're going to look at verses 15. 
When I was preparing this, I realized that if, if we don't have points, uh, somehow we freak out as a, as a congregation. Right? So, so I'm going to break up this one verse into three points. Okay? Uh, <laughs> so, so the first line of verses 15, that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. If you're taking notes, that line I titled it, Hatred. I will put enmity between you and the woman. The second line that speaks about the enmity between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. I titled that huddle. And the last line, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Hero. So we want to look at hatred, huddle, and hero as we break up verses 15 of Genesis chapter 3. Read the first line together. I will put enmity, God says, between you, speaking to the serpent, and the woman. So again, remember where Adam and Eve are. They've decided to turn their backs against God. They've decided to live life in their own ways, to abandon a good God, gave them good instructions. Instead, they listened to the enemy. They listened to the devil. And so as part of the judgment that God administers, he says he will put this, this hatred, this conflict between the, the serpent and the woman. Serpent representing Satan and the woman representing humans, representing us. So there's this constant conflict since the fall between us and Satan. In fact, Jesus puts it so eloquently in John 10.10, 10, where he reminds his disciples, reminds us even this morning, that Satan's one mission is to steal from us, to kill from us, to kill us rather, and to destroy us. That is part of the curse. That's what God pronounced as a judgment to us. I would also cry if I was hearing somebody speak about Satan. Uh, but sometimes what we do, church, is we, we come to Genesis chapter 3, and because of this enmity that we have between us and Satan, we read that into Eve's experience. Eve was not afraid of the serpent. We, we always make a joke that if, if Eve was a Zulu woman, she would have known this is witchcraft. And she would have never spoken to a serpent. But we, we read that into the text. There's, there's this apparent friendliness that Eve tends, is enjoying with, with the serpent. At least in the first parts of Genesis chapter 3, we see that. But after the fall... God says to them that this relationship will be marked by hatred. Satan's determination to want to do away with us will keep on increasing. It will keep on increasing. Even if you're a Christian, you know that he he sometimes comes and whispers in your ear. Why? Because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. But let me pause here and say this. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian... You are not under the protection of the good shepherd, John 10. You are not a born-again, spirit-filled, blood-bought, blood-protected Christian. If that's not you this morning, Satan is having a filled day with you. You might not consider yourself a devil worshiper. But if you're honest in your own hearts, the reason why you don't trust Jesus is because you don't believe in God, you don't trust God. Instead, you trust yourself, your own strength, and your own capability. Satan wants you there. That's where he wants you. Just as long as you're not worshipping Jesus. 
Just as long as you're not worshipping God, even for us who are Christians. He would rather have you be distracted by everything else, just as long as your gaze is moved away from God. Satan doesn't care who you worship. You can worship your ancestors. You can worship your work. You can worship Buddha, Muhammad. You could worship sex. You could worship new age spirituality. You can worship Netflix. Satan doesn't care. You can worship the chair you're sitting on. Worship the person next to you. Worship this roof. Worship the gate. Worship these walls. Just as long as your worship is not for God. His hatred for us will keep on increasing. The only thing that will stop it. The only thing that will stop it. So if you give your life to Jesus, you turn around from trusting yourself and believing and worshipping and everything else. Come to Jesus. Come to the good shepherd. Come to the one who will lead you in good ways, who will protect you. I remember speaking to the ladies at Nagopila um, not long ago. And we normally have a Q&A with them um, towards the end of the year. And one of them asked me if I, I think Christians can be bewitched. Um, and I said, no, Christians cannot be bewitched. Because the Holy Spirit refuses to share space with anything or anyone. All their eyes were like this. Because they just haven't been taught the truth about how God will protect us. God will keep us safe from Satan's schemes, from any darkness, from any kind of witchcraft. Trust in Jesus. Outside of him, Satan is having a filled day with you. Come to him this morning, amen. Trust him this morning. And speaking of this Jesus, our second line in verses 15 God speaks of this enmity that will be between the offspring of Satan and the offspring of the woman. So this tells us that Satan is determined to use people in this world to further his plans and to further his agenda. There's no evidence in the Bible that Satan has biological offspring. But, but he will use people, again, who are away from God, who are distracted by everything else, so that they can service his agenda. But again, Satan steals, kills, and destroys. This is not a new idea. He steals it from Genesis 2. God had already determined that he will grow his agenda and his kingdom through people. He instructed Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And so the thing that we need to take note here is that Satan is not some magician, but instead what he uses is your own willful rebellion. Your own sinfulness towards God so that he can deceive you in order that you would serve his agenda. So come to Jesus if you're not in Jesus. And Christians, let's stop giving Satan a foothold. Let's stop flirting with sin that he so easily uses to to have power over us. Because that's what Jesus died for on the cross. He disempowered sin. So if Satan comes and whispers in your ear to say, live like how you lived before Jesus, you can look at him in the eye and say, well, that's not over me anymore. Jesus took that on the cross. You have no hold over me. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, come to Jesus. If you are, let's repent from our sin. 
Especially over December, if we're, if we're honest. <laughs> if we're honest, yo, December gets wild, right? Um, somehow in December, when we, we close our offices, we also close the Bible and we close our faith. We don't consciously say it, but I will see Jesus in Jan, man. Hey, you know when it's rough, I will, will call him. Brother God, we need you now. But there's no space for Jesus in the car when we go to Belito. There isn't. There isn't. There's no space in the car for Jesus when we go to Limpopo. There isn't. And Satan will use that. Let's not give him a foothold. Amen. Just before we, we think somehow this passage is, is teaching us that there's, there's two equal powers that are fighting against each other. That last line categorically says no. It's not a competition between Satan and Jesus. It's not a competition between Satan and God. The last line, hero, uh, listen to what that, that line says. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. See, this line gives us confidence, again, to, to categorically say no. There's no competition between Satan and God. In fact, this one line tells us that there'll be one who emerges from the offspring of the woman, one who will stand in a league of his own, one who will not have competition, the one who will have the ability to crush the head of the serpent. His name is Jesus. In fact, other translations render that word crushed when it speaks of him uh, bruising, rather, the, the, the head of the serpent. Other translations render that word as, as crushed, as destroyed, or grinding into dust. That's the God we serve. That's who Jesus is. That's what we are celebrating and commemorating over the Christmas holidays. Satan is no competition to Jesus. Jesus has no equal. Jesus has no rival. He stands in a category of his own. And this right here is the announcement that should mark our Christmas celebrations. Amen. This is what should mark our Christmas celebrations, this ancient promise. Our king has no equal. God declared that immediately after the fall, that there will come one who will restore us back to himself. Here are three uh, reminders, I think, that we, we can hold on to uh, over the Christmas period. To remind ourselves that Satan is crushed. Somebody say he's crushed. He is crushed. One, remind yourself when Satan comes to whisper over the December holidays. When he comes to whisper lies in your heart, whisper lies in your mind. Remind him and remind yourself that he's crushed at the cross more than 2,000 years ago. That's the first stage upon which Jesus humiliated Satan. This empowered him and the sin that he so easily uses to tempt us and draw us to himself and away from God. Remind him, remind yourself that at the cross, your sin lost its power over you. Remind him and remind yourself that at the cross, you gave up autonomy. You surrendered your life to Jesus so that he can rule over you. Remind him that at the cross, you left your old self at the foot of that cross. And when you got up, you got up as a new creation in God. Remind him of that. 
Remind him that he's crushed at the cross. Remind him that at the cross, he only bruised the heel of Jesus. He only bruised it. How do we know that? Because Jesus did not remain dead. The resurrection proves that Jesus could not be held by death and Satan's desires for Jesus to be completely destroyed were not met. There's no equal for this guy. There's no rival. Remind Satan that he is crushed at the cross. Number two, remind Satan that he will be crushed when Jesus returns on his second coming. He is coming. He is coming. Do we believe he's coming? He is coming. Remind Satan, you will be crushed when Jesus arrives on earth and he will bind you and place you in the pit. We have that hope. Revelation 21 till 3, we are told that he will return. Bind him up and throw him in the pit. And lastly, remind him and remind yourself that he will be thrown in the lake of fire. It's going to happen. Our God does not lie. He will be thrown in the lake of fire. Eventually, when Jesus returns, Satan will be cast into the lake of fire along with everybody who followed him. Revelation 27 till 10. The scriptures look forward to that day when the serpent's head will be crushed. And guess what, Bazalwane? We can look forward to that as well. As you sit over the Christmas holidays, remember, there is a day that's coming where he'll be thrown in the lake of fire. We could look forward to that day with certainty. Amen. So hold on to those reminders as we celebrate this promise, this one declaration of one who will save us, rescue us, and bring us back to God. As we close, um, Genesis 3.15 is actually the first Christmas sermon ever preached. It's the first Christmas sermon that was preached by God himself. And God preached it to a congregation of only three. Adam, Eve, and Satan. Satan knew what was coming. Eve and Adam, who were in a state of shame, also knew that in the crushing of Satan, they will get redeemed. There will be a restoration. So this is the good news the very thing that we celebrate over Christmas, church. It's the good news that should, should fuel our celebrations over Christmas. And in closing, here are very short three things as well. Why our celebrations need to be marked by this good news. Everything else that we do is nice. The food is nice, the clothes are nice, the rest is nice. But let our celebrations be marked by this good news, this ancient promise. Why? Well, because the rest of the Bible finds its shape from this one promise. Every other character we see in the Old Testament that we'll preach about even next week and the weeks to follow, they are all a shadow of the one who will come to crush the head of the serpent. Adam, or rather Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, all of them are just shadows of our one king who reigns supreme, and that's Jesus. Let this good news mark your celebration. 
Let this good news mark your celebration. Why? Because there's no other way for anybody to be saved. That's exactly what Genesis 3.15 is saying to us. And Christians, that's, just, that's, that's something we should be celebrating. That's something we shouldn't even be quiet about. Part of our celebration is giving people this good news. Because there's no other way to be saved, Genesis 3.15 tells us. That's exactly what this announcement says. It leaves no room to speculate that we could be saved in any other way. There's only one way we could be saved. And that's through Jesus, the one who crushes the head of Satan. No other way. So we need to celebrate this. That our Jesus, our older brother, our savior was, was bruised. He wasn't crushed. He was bruised for our sake. He was beaten. His body was drenched in tears and blood. That's the only way that salvation gets to the rest of humanity. No other way. No other way. A Christmas bonus might make us think that we can get saved through money. A rest might make us think that we can get saved from our own strength. You can't get saved through your cleverness. You can't get saved through whatever philosophy you hold about the world. Not all roads lead to the same God. Genesis 3.15 says, No. There's only one way to be saved. And that is through Jesus who crushes the head of the serpent. No other way. And lastly, why this ancient promise should mark our celebrations? Because this ancient promise reassures us that victory for the kingdom of God is inevitable over the kingdom of darkness. As Christians, it might seem like we're losing right now. Satan is whispering. The world is talking. You feel drained and tired, constantly battling against your sin. Genesis 3.15 will say to you this morning, you will not lose at the end. We don't lose at the end at all. But there's victory for us. We will not be destroyed because of who our captain is. We will not fail at the end because of who our God is. There is victory awaiting us at the end. Why would we not celebrate that? I like my seven colors, but it pales in comparison to the victory that's awaiting for me. Why would we not celebrate that? Why would that not mark our celebration as we think about a Jesus who came to this earth, became like one of us? died the death that we so deserve so he can crush the head of the serpent. If you didn't have any Christmas plans, I just gave them to you. Celebrate like this, for this, with this. Amen. We celebrate Christmas with the best news ever announced. Ever announced. That in our moment of our greatest weakness, God presses in closer gives us the greatest news ever. We will be saved if we trust and believe in him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for who you are. Grateful that Eternity past, you gave yourself as a solution, as a plan for us before we even came into existence. 
We thank you for your great love for us. When we fail you, when we turn our backs against you, when we worship everything else, give our affections, our trust, our loyalty, you come close. You press in. The moments of our greatest weakness. So thank you so much for that, Jesus. I pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit as we go into the holiday season that our celebrations would be undergirded by this this good news. Help us to have fun, enjoy time with loved ones. But let that be colored by the truth that we were once far away from you, but because of you now, we can truly enjoy the good gifts you give us and give glory to you. Pray for those who don't know you, Lord. Pray that today they would abandon their own worship of themselves, that they would not give Satan a foothold any longer to want to kill, steal, and destroy them, that they would trust you, to believe in you, that this would be a great Christmas gift for them, salvation that you offer. Let's pray for all of these things. In your name that has no rival, no equal, a name that's in a category of its own. That's your name, Jesus. Amen.